0: Patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone, and welcome to episode 82 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tyloski. Thank you all so much for joining me this week. We've got another exciting episode, one that is, I think, very, very different from the other ones that we've done. This is another classic part one, part two episode. So once again, uh, this is part one. If you want to listen to part two, you can click down the link in the show notes below, or... If you put it on uh, automatic play, it should play to the next F episode for part two. As a kind reminder, make sure to subscribe to our email list to get the latest news and notifications from our show. And also be sure to check out the Ask Our Guest feature, which was announced last week. Uh, This is a great way to really be a part of these interview episodes. More information is in the previous episode, or just simply subscribe to our email list and we'll have some more details for you about how to have a chance to ask a question for a future guest. Now, as I just mentioned, this episode clearly is different from the rest. This week's episode is not about policy, it's not about legislation, not about foreign policy, it's about relationships. But what kind of relationships? Perhaps relationships that are closer to home. This week's guest is Dana C. McClendon III. On his Instagram page, he describes himself as a professional clown, amateur, subversive, and parasite by choice. Now, I don't do this at all with the other episodes that I've done so far, but I highly, highly recommend that you watch the seven-minute video that is down below in the show notes. I guarantee it, you will not regret watching this amazing video that went viral just several years ago. Probably one of the most innovative inventions I've ever seen is perhaps the most famous matrix of all, the Universal Hot Crazy Matrix. And without further ado... Pause this episode right now, go watch, enjoy that amazing video, and we'll see you in just several minutes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very happy to welcome Mr. Dana McClendon on Friends and Fellow Citizens. Dana, thank you so much for coming on to our program today.
1: I could not be happier to, than to be here. <laughs>
0: Well this is obviously a very very special episode because you you're normally on our podcast we talk a lot about policy issues legislative ideas and all the rest but today is something a little bit different and uh, I I, as I mentioned in my introduction, I highly, highly recommend that people listen to that v- short video down the show notes below. This is that would be a really great platform to really start our conversation today. But Dana, I just got to say, when I watched this video, I think it was about two three years ago. But then I, re- I watched it again last year because I was, I guess, I was just, you know, the the idea of dating or marriage just comes up so often. But I I was always wondering who is the man behind this Viral video, so I I decided I watched an interview that you did.
1: I don't know what your uh, I don't know what your profanity rules are bear but let's just say he's just some jerk on the internet.
0: I love that? <laughs> well, it's it's just phenomenal how you're able to condense that information down so well. I, I honestly thought you were a professor, a trade, uh, but you obviously have, <laughs> have uh, been a bit of a different background. So tell us a little bit about your background and what what you're up to nowadays.
1: As you said, my name is Dana McClendon. I am a trial lawyer. Uh, When I say trial lawyer, I mean anything that happens at the courthouse. So I do trials and appeals. Um, This year I've tried, I don't know how many divorce cases handled. I don't have any idea uh, how many misdemeanor cases. uh, Tried a murder trial a couple months ago. I've uh, got a kidnapping case. I mean, just whatever. So, I'm just a I'm just a mercenary at law. Um, been doing it about thirty years. Graduated from Vanderbilt Law School and went into practice here in Middle Tennessee and been here ever since.
0: Wow. Well, this certainly, you know, the things that you mentioned are certainly relevant to to the hot crazy matrix. And uh, we're going to start with there because I just think it was so ingenious for you to come up with a matrix like that. It, it's, it looks <laughs> like something from a textbook almost, like the yeah. best textbook I can ever imagine. So yeah. tell us about how you came up with, with this idea and walk us through the experience of filming it at the time in 2015.
1: Well, that's probably going to be a big disappointment. But, um, so the way it the way it evolved was uh, I had a guy come to see me and he he was hiring me I think for the third time he'd been in like three little scrapes with the law and I looked at him and I said hey man do you understand why you have to keep paying me and hiring me and he said man I guess I'm just unlucky and I said no that's not it what do all of these things have in common all these charges have in common and he he struggled for a minute and I said. It's a crazy woman, and he was like, "Yeah." He was like, but, "But what do I do?" And I was like, "Man, I let me see if I can help you with that." And I just started noodling around on a legal pad, and I came up with the, I guess the the original sketch, and it it had it had most of, of what became the final bit. But the first time I drew it, it was not a bit. It was, I was literally trying to show a guy how he could like not have to hire me anymore by just making better choices about the women he spent time with. Probably the only two parts that were not in the original, just first brainstorm drawing were Tiffany, the Tiffany punchline, and the Tranny punchline, which is arguably the, like, the, the, the the one right but right um those were organically added later while i was because after i drew it the first time he laughed and he goes man that makes a lot more sense to me and so i just started you know like if i'd be if i was sitting next to someone at the courthouse or killing time or whatever i'd, I'd draw it show it to him Pe- most people laughed and um uh, so i just you know if i had if i had a few minutes i'd share it with somebody and uh i was doing it one time i was showing a guy one time. And I got to the danger zone and he pointed at, he put his finger on it. He tapped on it and he said, and Tiffany's Tiffany's are in the danger zone. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's good. Cause he really meant it. He, he, he really had a crazy Tiffany problem. Um, but I realized that the comedic genius of adding Tiffany was that first of all, everyone knows a crazy Tiffany. (laughs) And second of all, Tiffany was just a mnemonic placeholder. Like your Tiffany might be named Sarah, but if I gave you a name, you just filled it in with whatever name worked for you. Um, So that was kind of accidental genius. Later, the part about the tranny stuff actually happened sort of the way I explained it in the video. Like that's not, uh, it was organic between me and a dude I was showing it to. Um, And I just, you know, just rift it, and there it is. The one other thing that happened spontaneously, aside from the entire film and the entire video, um, was during the filming. Um, I did not have hairdressers in the danger zone when I would do the bit on my own. And um, the day that we filmed what became the hyper viral video. Um, I did not know I was going to see James. He didn't know I was coming to see him. I hadn't planned to see him. I just happened to go to court in the county where he lives. It's about an hour and a half from where I I live. And if I'm over there in Camden, I stop in and I see my friends that are over there. So I got out of court. I went by, I saw James and I don't even remember how it came up, but I think he must have said something like, oh, you know, so-and-so's girlfriend's giving him a hard time or whatever. And I, I don't even know. Anyway. I drew the bit. I showed James the bit. And uh he goes, That's funny, man. You should do a video. And I said, Okay. <laughs> so he literally walked out um into his filming room. It well, it's just it's just a classroom with a whiteboard and turned the camera on and filmed it. And what you saw on the on YouTube and on wherever you saw it, Facebook and wherever else it went, um, what you saw was one take. There was there was no editing. Well, the only editing that was done was we filmed it all straight through um and then james and when when i finished doing the bit james stepped in the camera we filmed the intro and we filmed the exit um and what was funny was that while we were filming it it was just me and james and then two women that worked for him and they had no idea what we were up to so if you listen carefully you can hear you can hear women snickering oh, yeah. and they'd never seen it either so they were seeing it for the first time and they were trying not to laugh and i almost broke Like I wasn't really in character. That's just me being like, you know, deadpan, but, um, but you can hear them snicker. And then Jane, when I was doing the, the bit on the whiteboard, um, I got to danger zone and James from off camera yells and hairdressers. And I was like, and hairdressers (laughs) are in the danger zone for sure. So, um, and then if you saw the, the full seven minute video at the end, he asked me, um, so is there one for men? Well, he didn't know that yet. The answer was yes. I, I actually do also have a, a very simple chart for men. So his reaction to the the little bit at the end where I draw the one that women use to pick a man um, was completely natural. I mean, James and I have been friends for 10 years or so. So um, that was just two dudes goofing around, man. I, I If we had known that it was going to go viral, we would have messed it up completely and it wouldn't have gone viral. We would have like overproduced it and thought too much about it and had a website with t-shirts and everything ready to go. And so it, would, it wouldn't it would have become viral. Um, the only way it went viral was that it was just two idiots that tur- that happened to have a camera sitting on a tripod and we turned it on one day and the rest is history.
0: Uh, it's so amazing. I mean, it's almost like it was just meant to be, you know, things just kind of happen and you kind of feel like, I don't know know if it's pre-planned or whatever, but you just know that you you just got to do it. And I, I love how you, you told a story about how there's, it it literally felt like we were in class (laughs) learning about, about these concepts because we don't learn this stuff in school.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, I had never, I had never contemplated filming the bit. I mean, I had just showed it to one person at a time or maybe two you know but i'd never like thought about making it a video um and so when we turned the camera on i just sort of naturally realized that like that this was not a bit that worked if i laughed at my own joke along the way so i just did it completely deadpan and um and i think that helped Uh, Because if I'd been yucking it up along the way, I I, I don't think it would have worked quite as well. And I think that that part of what made it work was that people couldn't tell whether or not I was serious. And and then people got mad because they thought like I was like one thing I got all the time was um, because, I mean, this this thing. At one point, I counted up like 300 million views on various places and i quit looking because i got to the point where i was finding only five million at a time so um so you know out of the hundreds of millions some of the comments that became you know because it would pop up one place in another and then there would be a thousand comments below it you know like bro bible or cracked or or um, what's that um what's the one with the keep calm and chive the chive um and so it would or or um world star or wherever it would pop up and it would have thousands of comments. And one of the comments from somebody that was, that would, that was common among people that were angered by it was like, tell that fat cop to get back to work. And, you know, it was just kind of like, like you said, you thought it was a, you thought I was like a professor or something, but, um, then people that looked at it a little more closely saw that I was carrying a gun and they thought I had a pocket protector and, it was my, it, it was really my phone in my shirt pocket. But people, like I said, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't plan to film that. So the way I'm dressed and everything that happens in that video, that's just how I went to court that day. Um, and I had my phone in my pocket, and I always carry a gun, so, um, so I had a gun on, and I just happened to have taken my blazer off. So, like I said, if we had thought through it and tried to plan it or or make it work, we wouldn't have made it work.
0: Absolutely! Wow, that's phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing about that because you know, I, I as I watched it, I I'm just you can imagine, you know, imagine the million, hundreds of millions of views. I mean, just imagine how there could be people watching who are thinking, saying, you know, Dana, you are saying exactly what how I've always been thinking. But I just didn't want to say it out loud, and I think that's what the.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think what made it go viral so viral was that people saw it and whether they had thought it and weren't willing to say it or not, I think what made it go really hyper viral was that there were pieces in it that were just too true to deny. Like, like, and, and it, and it's, um, it, 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 I think it also worked because it really goes to like, like the struggle to, to find someone that can put up with you that you can put up with them. Right. Like that's the hard part of, of, of relationships and coupling. Like there's a ton of people that I would love to hang around. You know, like if I were not married, there's probably a ton of people that I would be like, yeah, that'd be awesome if I could hang out with her. But she wouldn't have me. Um, and probably there's some women that would think I was cool to hang out with, but I would be like, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, so the struggle is to find the match. And and so in that five, seven minutes, there was something that, that people had experienced and so they were like that. That's it. That's the thing. And so they sent it to everyone they knew. And then, you know, you you get the law of exponential growth um, before long.
0: Yeah, you're yeah, you're right, absolutely right. And uh, before we, I ask you about just some of the reactions and and all that, uh, what I mean, there's so many great bits. I mean, it feels like every single part did. They just all kind of marry together as as one cohesive video. But one yeah, and it kind of builds. That's right, right. It's yeah. The adrenaline kind of builds and all that. One my my probably my favorite one, uh, really, is the Danger Zone because I thought of the Greek mythology, the sirens, you know, those mythical creatures, you know, and I right, which very briefly to people they uh, the sirens were basically creatures. They were half woman, half fish. They would perch on some very very pointy rocks, and they would sing, um, but not because you know. People pay tickets or anything to watch them, uh, but it, they were actually very evil creatures. And what happens that sailors would sail by and it would be so distracted, they would completely lose focus and crash and drown. It, it, but, but I, I was thinking about that myth. I was like, there's, yes, I know it's a myth and everything, but let's be honest here. There are actual sirens out there. <laughs> you know, they, they you could be yeah. so enamored to them. And, and f- before you know it, you're going to go from the Greek myth sirens to the signs on the police car that you'd be riding uh, in. <laughs> with with right. these uh, ladies. Well,
1: <laughs> you know, every war up until the, the first world war was, was really about a, a woman. So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, just kidding. But like, um, yeah, I that there were there were bits. Um I'll tell you that I watched I happened to after it went viral and while it was going viral. I had occasion to watch the video with many women that had never seen it. And what I learned very quickly was that if they don't at least chuckle at the first bit in the bit, the first the first like hint that this is not going like this is going to be a joke, right? The first hint is that I say well you know the the crazy is measured from 4 to 10 because of course there's no such thing as a woman who's not at least a 4 crazy if they don't chuckle at that you need to turn it off cuz it's about yes. to get a lot worse <laughs> cuz if that if they if they if they snarl or or make a face at that you just need to bail eject and get away because it's not going to get better
0: Oh, gosh, that that must that must have been quite an experience, right? Just like I mean, you're almost kind of like you're gauging the their their facial expressions or their reaction early on. But uh, hopefully a lot of most of these women yeah. stuck stuck around and and had a had quite an amazing time. <laughs> so here's
1: the thing. So everyone that knows me in person knows that I'm a clown. So, um you know, um, they, they, they kind of did not. They they kind of knew something was up or or they'd heard about it, but they hadn't seen it. So I showed them or or whatever. But it, I mean, anyone that knows me in person knows I'm just going somewhere to, you know, like if I show up in a room, people are going to laugh pretty soon.
0: And now and I want to ask you about how your family and friends reacted to this video. I don't know how many people you told <laughs> them bef- about before, after you released the video. But yeah, what was that like?
1: No, that's not at all how it happened. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. So James, the guy who's in the video with me, if you saw the full version, uh, a lot of people only saw the, the part where I'm standing in front of a whiteboard, but the full version that we put out, there's there, there's a good friend of mine is in the very beginning and he comes in it back at the end and he introduces me and then I do the bit and then he comes back on camera and he asks me a question. I do another bit. He didn't know I was going to do that second bit, but um James, this was not the first time that James had played a part in a viral video. The first viral video that he played a part in is the one we call the rant video. Um, and you can, your listeners can go, go find that. But um, so my wife knows James and was as James is a client of mine. So I had, I had kind of walked James through a little situation that developed when he made the first video, viral video, the rant. So. Um, and we've told that story before as so you can go check, go check that out on his channel or whatever. But, um, so he, um, but I had never showed my wife the bit at all. There was just no reason. I mean, in a couple of months, we'll have been married 30 years. Uh, you know, like I, I, I wasn't withholding it from her. It just never came up. Um, so, uh, I, We put the video out and honestly, we put it on James's channel and James's channel is, you know, like gun guys and and preppers and and cops. And, and, you know, like like, there's kind of a small self-selected group of people that are going to be watching James's videos. So I thought, okay, there'll be five thousand dudes, ten thousand maybe. We'll yuck it up, call it a day. Um, That is not what happened. So before long, it was it had just exploded across the internet. Well, my wife had never even seen the bit. Never mind, Did, did she know I'd ever made a video? So the thing is going nuts and I'm starting to get calls from like the New York times and, and newspapers and radio stations and TV, you know, like network. Um, and I, and so my older son was about to leave for college that year and he, we were home one day and we put it up in July. And by August, It was absolutely off the charts. And he just said out loud in the living room one day, the family room, he said, dad, how's the video doing? And my wife said, video, what video? (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) um, so now you have to understand the context here. My wife and I have lived in the same house for 22 years. We live in a, 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 Uh, not a small town, but we live in a, in a town where I'm pretty well known because I've been on city council for 20 years. Um, I've coached little league and, and, you know, football and, and stuff. I'm a, I'm a well-known lawyer here. So our life sort of depends upon me not being seen as a pariah. Okay. So, you know, but there had already been some pushback coming from the video. There were people that didn't like it. And so they were sort of starting to jump up and down. So my wife is in the kitchen and she says, video, what video? And I'm like, well, see what had happened was so, um, so I took my laptop in the kitchen and I, I, I pushed play. And I think I got to the part where I said, because of course, there's no such thing as a woman who's not at least a four crazy. And my wife looks at me and she goes, you have to take this down. This, this can't be on the internet. This, this, you know, she already saw the pitchforks and torches coming to run us out of town. And I was like, oh, honey, it's it's way far gone. There's no taking it down. There's no getting it back. It's <laughs> done. And so she watches the rest of the video. Now, keep in mind, she's never even seen the bit. Right. So never mind contemplated that I would make this incredibly viral and somewhat controversial video. So it gets to the end and she looks at me and she goes you are an idiot. And I go, okay, all right, fair. And then she goes, but I'm a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that is exactly why I did this video. You are indeed the original unicorn. So she's been a pretty good sport. Um, There was, um, but like, I mean, like I said, you know, all the judges that I practice in front of and everything, I've been a clown for 30 years. So they weren't surprised that I was, a clown with a viral video now. Um, and, and they know me well enough to know that, you know, whatever the, the principal complaints that the people who did not know me had, they were of course that, um, well, the, he's obviously a misogynist and he should be canceled. And, you know, the people that know me that I deal with every day, they know better than that. They, they was, it was just a, it's a bit, it's a, it's a joke. So um, in, in my real life, it didn't, change anything. Um, now on the internet, there were people who, you know, wanted, there were people who came and put fake bad reviews on my web, my law firm website. Um, there were, there were outraged, um, advocates for whatever my position was opposite of. I don't even know. Um, there was one uh, apparently she's some kind of activist over in Australia and I could have, I could start Twitter wars with her entire fan base and then go to bed and wake up. Cause of course right. they're like on the <laughs> other side of the earth. So like I, I just send out a tweet and hashtag her into it and I'd wake up and there'd be like 400 angry, you know, women um defending her and telling me what a pig I was. So. Yeah, it So kind
0: of it's, it's a lot of people in the, in the danger zone there. I think, I think that they're inherently not realizing that they're putting them <laughs> the themselves funny in the is, danger zone.
1: <laughs> the Australian. Yeah. She was a redhead. So I, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do? That was the, uh, that was the, the other subset of people. So there were like, there were like three categories, three main categories of people that really, um, expressed the offense. I don't know how many people were, but I'm sure some were, but there were three categories of people who, who really decided that they were going to say how much offended they were. Um, There was the category of like arch feminists who just, it wasn't funny. Nothing about it was funny. I was the problem. I was the, I was like the immediate poster boy for all things that are wrong with relations between the sexes or genders or whatever. I was, you know, like, cancel cancel that guy he's he's a pig um so they were they were bent um and then there were the white knights who were just absurd it's like telling these other women how much how how wrong i am as a man and how you would not ever be like that to a woman is still not going to work dude they're still not going to they're still not going to pay any attention to you um and then there were the 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 weird, the the strange ones, the ones who really went ballistic, were the ones who acted as though I had spoken directly to them, as if I had made the entire video to talk to, you know, uh Betty in Des Moines. Uh, you know, like, hey Betty, you're in the no-go zone. And and they just they would they would go on like the the video or they would go on my Facebook page or wherever they could find a place to say. And they would say, "What kind of jerk are you? You're a two. Who are you to talk about ugly uh, women being ugly or something?" And I was like, "It's crazy. I, I don't even know what to say to that. You're you're mad that you feel like I objectified women and denigrated women that were not attractive, which I, that's not what I said, but whatever." And so the response that they gave was to come and track me down and tell me I was ugly or fat or bald or stupid or short or or whatever um, whatever they thought I was or wasn't, uh, it was like, okay, you, you're mad because you think i said some women are ugly. And so you're going to tell me I'm ugly. That's great. Good for you.
0: You know, it's, it's pretty crazy just how I remember there was this kind of early idea for the internet where it's like, oh, you were all going to be swergues have access to all this information and all that. <laughs> no, didn't really didn't really out work long. out. I mean,
1: can you imagine if we could have if we if we were able to hop in a time machine with our with the magic box that I carry in my hand and I'm we're 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 able to see each other but for the purpose of the podcast, I'm holding the uh, the ubiquitous iPhone right the smartphone um, can you imagine if we could hop in a time machine, zip back to Philadelphia at the at the moment of our country being founded and show those guys? our phones and tell them I hold in my hand the entire accumulated knowledge of human, of of humans, uh, from prehistory, everything we know about humans and the earth and space. It's all right here in my hand and you can know anything you want in 10 seconds. And they would be like, Oh my God, what do you do with it, man? From the future. And I say, mostly I take pictures of my food and argue with strangers. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Can you imagine?
1: <laughs>
0: oh, uh, they'd be like. Oh, I post punished.
1: pictures of the. I post pictures of my pizza, uh, 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 and uh, I tell strangers that they're wrong. That's pretty much what I do.
0: <laughs> I, I tell you, I, 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 it's so relatable because I've, I really, early on, really tuned out of the you know, the whole thing, like, look what I have for breakfast. I'm like, great. The problem is I didn't get, you, you didn't share it equally with your 1000 followers or how many. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You and your 400 Twitter followers are not a real thing. That's, that's, that's <laughs> right. all make-believe. So.
0: Absolutely. Um, we'll definitely touch upon social media a little bit in just a bit, but, um, I, I want to now kind of bring up a couple things. The first is, as we mentioned earlier, before we started recording, Dana, um, I found some, some interesting quotes from George Washington himself, obviously the the man behind the Farewell Address, which is what the podcast is based on. And I guess I'll start with, with one that relates to, to family. Now, you mentioned that you've been on city council. I think this is a very relevant topic regarding community, about really the family unit, and I mean, there's so much that one can touch upon here, but the quote from Washington goes like this. He says, quote, my mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw. All I am I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her, unquote. And I I read this quote because it it seems like, you know, there's there's a number of, of things that I'm concerned about. One thing I'm concerned about is, the, the future of the the family unit you know we kind of look at you know recent history like say from the sixties or something the sexual revolution and all this stuff that goes on but it it seems like we we're such a fragmented society it kind of it's kind of evidence from you know some of those comments and the things that these weirdos say on the internet and it's really i love the metaphor that you put out because it just seems like we, okay we just because we brand branded a smartphone doesn't mean that we're smart we're calling this phone smart when I'm calling ourselves smart uh, what would you say about just kind of the state of maybe some of uh, the fragmentation of society to some degree like maybe in our communities or just the way that we've we've maybe drifted off from the the, the intention the meaning or the the value of having a a family unit
1: if I remember my Washington right it's kind of. Um I don't want to say ironic, but it's um his relationship with his mother was often fraught if I remember right. Um uh she was sort of a stern uh aloof woman, but towards the end of his life perhaps he realized uh how valuable all that had been nonetheless. But I digress. Um the the problem I think one of the problems that we've got in our culture today is that um, we have been grinding away uh, the family unit um, the traditional family unit and not replacing it with anything better um, I'm not uh, I'm not hidebound by tradition, but I think if we're going to do away with something both intentionally and unintentionally, we probably ought to at least think about doing, doing something better or at least no worse. And I don't think that's happening. I think we've got, um, I think we've got way too many children in this country um, growing up in broken homes, um, growing up uh, with too little uh, exposure to two parents. Um, uh, You know, I'm not, uh, I, I'm I'm not one to uh, to tell people that they have to stay in an unhealthy relationship, of course. But I think we've made uh, the family unit disposable and recyclable. You get um, one mom, one dad, and then if you're lucky, you get some other adults that will love you like their own. Um, but uh, those should be added on, you know, to the people. That are your parents not not uh, added in lieu of um, your parents. So, I think if you look at a lot of the uh, a lot of the ills that we suffer today, violence, poverty, just to name two, I think isolation, another, a lot of those have to do with the breakdown of the family unit, where you have economically driven um, uh, choices. Uh, where you have two parents or, or maybe just one working children that are, that are not being um, mentored well or adequately or even just in sufficient amounts of time. You know, when, when I was a kid, um, I was probably one of the, I, I guess, I don't know. I'm 54. So I think it may be fair to say I was probably one of the original latchkey kids. Um, you know, both my parents worked outside the home. That was not something that was common in their childhood. And I think the, you know, it, it, there were some, um, there were probably some upsides to that for my generation. And if you grew up a latchkey kid, you learned how to cook for yourself. You learned how to do things for yourself, but you, but it also had some ramifications. And one of those is that you learned to become over overly independent and, 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 um, if you meet and I don't know how old you are, but um I know tons of people my age that don't give a flip about spending time. We're perfectly happy to be alone for a lot. <laughs> and that <laughs> may not be great, you know that may not be great news. Um, but it's it's a shame that we have drifted in this direction without consciously thinking about, well, are we are we doing okay? Is this a good choice? We got so caught up in, in uh, people's rights, individual rights and, and, and wants that I think we lost some sense of, of um, commitment and, and, and loyalty and, and perseverance.
0: I really, really appreciate what you said. I, I think you're absolutely right. We've really lost that connection with that family. We kind of lose a connection to ourselves in some way. A good example, I think, would be looking at the issue of divorce. Now, I know it's a complicated issue where there's tons of reasons, One big one would be money, but my father always told me that when he was growing up, and he's about the same age as you are, Dana, divorce was not a normality. It was an exception that shot people. Like, if a kid's parents were divorced, this was kind of a big deal. This was big news. And nowadays, it seems like you can't go anywhere without seeing a family or someone just having their lives divided. X number of years when they promised in their vows that they would work out and be a union.
1: Oh, it's almost – I mean, it's it's – it's just about to the point it's celebrated. I mean, um, as opposed, you know, I'm not suggesting that people should be stigmatized by being divorced, but I think, um, I think too many people, I, I've, I, I do a lot of divorce work. I mean, I'm, I'm on the front lines of this divorce, uh, pandemic or endemic or whatever word we want to use. I mean, I'm in it every day. I spent all morning in the middle of, the, the the blast radius of a divorce that happened years ago and a custody fight that still lingers, um, and it's tragic and it destroys people and it destroys children, and for many people, the divorce was not a better solution. It was merely an easier one that they they perceived it to be easier. It turns out to be disastrous many times, but they there was there was um they it was easier or it looked easier. So they did it. And, um, you know, there's a couple kids in that story that I was dealing with this morning that are, that are, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with the original divorce. I've come along after, but, um, I, I not so jokingly tell people sometimes, you know, they come to me and they say, Oh, well, you know, my husband and I, we've, we've, we've had a long talk and we figured it out. And we already know what we want to do about custody. And we've, We've talked through our finances and we think we have a pretty good plan with that. We just need you to sort of do the paperwork. And I just look at him and I go, if you and your husband have figured out how to raise your kids uh, collectively and and sorted out your finances, then you should go home and stay married because you are way ahead of a lot of people that are not getting divorced. Um, you, you you have You have figured out the two huge pieces of the puzzle and they kind of look at me crazy and I'm like... I'm just telling you. I mean, if you just don't love each other anymore, I, I get it. But, um, I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah, that, that may, I, I, I think one of the problems that we've got is that we have all been sold this, this idyllic soulmate nonsense where if only you find the right person, you'll perpetually be happy. And that's just a farce. Um, there's eight billion people on this planet. I could probably be indefinitely happy enough with hell, I don't know, a million of them as my partner. You know, like there is no if you think about if you if you if you believe in this this fantasy land that there's a soulmate, then I have bad news for you. You have just committed to the cruelest creator imaginable because your creator puts you on a planet with 8 billion people and you're playing hide and go seek looking for one. Um, And, and that seems to be an absurd uh, proposition to me. The, the idea that if, if only you, you, you look hard enough, you'll find the one. And the problem with that of course, is that there's no such person. And more importantly, you compare any potentially compatible partner to this fantasy land of perfection and no one will survive that scrutiny. Nobody. So, you know, the, the, either the, 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 the stars aligned or the, or God made or, or whatever you believe is, is sort of organizing the universe or just chaos happened and random chance puts you in the same elevator as the person you should spend the rest of your life with. And you measured them against your soulmate and found them wanting. So you, you didn't even bother to get their name. Well, that can't that, so, you know, I, I tell women that they've been sold the Barbie dream house and there is no Ken, none of us are Ken, none of, no, no dude I know is good enough to, to live in the Barbie dream house. And yet we start, we, we start peddling that to girls in this country and in this culture um, before they're old enough to get out of the shopping cart at Target. And it, it, it has real and profound impact.
0: I, th- I think you make such a great profound point dana because as i'm thinking about the systemic kind of cultural weaknesses that were things that are incredibly damaging to you know people's ability to find find someone it just seems like in this day and age there's a lot of phoniness for lack of a better term like social media like this like there's a, you know, mass like consumerism. There's this kind of aspect where where people are are thinking, oh, I have to be that you know perfect, whatever. Or I have to find that perfect. Whatever. If I don't, it it's the end of the world or something.
1: Yeah. And what and what you can still see, however, is that what people really crave is authenticity. Because, for example, the re- I I submit that the reason that Dave Chappelle is gangbusters. Uh, successful is because Dave Chappelle says the truth out loud. And, and you don't, you don't have to agree with him, but you do have to respect the fact that he, he risks everything every night uh, and just says stuff that he feels and believes and people know it's authentic. It's not a front. You know, it's like if, if Dave Chappelle's entire thing is just a shtick, just a, just a front, just a big fake thing, then he's perfected, the fake authenticity. But I think what's going on with him is authenticity. And so many times the, the, the people that, that, that become, and I would say the same thing, say at the other end of the spectrum about Oprah. I don't know Oprah, but when, you know, but 30 years ago, she was the biggest thing on television. And I think what made her huge was the fact that people felt like they could relate to her. She could be vulnerable. She could be weak. She could be, you know, feisty. She could be real on TV. And that was not something that people were used to at the time. And so she's reaped the wards, rewards. And, and to this day, she's, she's whether she's real or not, she is beloved for being perceived as authentic. So at the same time that people are pretending to be something that they're not, what they crave is real realness.
0: It's and it seems like with, things like you know cancel culture you mentioned cancel culture a little bit and just relating that also to the political correctness sort of culture that's going on it it all it seems like it's what's crazy about these these things is that it's like a rejection of what is real my view of that is that people want to at
1: the same time that they want to relate to people that are authentic they also want to belong to something they want to belong to something bigger than themselves and so, you know, 200 years ago, if you wanted to belong to something bigger than yourself, you actually had to know human beings that lived near you, okay? And and, and if you had to know human beings that lived near you, then you were probably going to be accountable for the things that you said and you did. Like, if you told the man in the farm a mile away that you were going to have, you know, five pigs for him, you better or else, you know, that dude and no one else was going to deal with you anymore. So- you need people. I think have a, a an innate urge to belong to a to a something bigger than themselves, and the problem is now that you can pick some tiny little sphere of belonging and manufacture it and get in it without leaving your house, um, and so people can 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 like cut, copy, paste an identity from the internet and become. A full-fledged voting leading member of whatever little tiny sphere of people pocket of the internet that they want. So, like, we could go find the little pocket of of people who love pug dogs on the internet, and I'm sure that there's some queen and king of pug internet l- world, right? And 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 if you please or displease. The, you know, the royalty of the internet bunch of pug people, there are consequences. But until you do, if you if you ingratiate yourself with them, then you can sit in your house and be a, a, a welcome member of whatever, okay? And so this cancel culture thing just enables people to do a couple things simultaneously. One, they get to belong to something that's bigger than themselves, right? So like next week... There's going to be a cancel some dude or some woman because they said or did something that this group found offensive. So there's going to be a dog pile of people, you know, seeing who can shout down the, the evil person the loudest. And they will gain credentials and credibility and, and gravitas in their little group of, of people that they'll never actually meet in person. Um, they also get to feel like they did something. Right. Like like instead of like actually doing something, they get to claim credit for doing something. So it's like this microwave shortcut to meaningfulness. And uh, unfortunately, it's ersatz. It's not you you didn't actually do anything when you when you were the 4000th person to sign the change.org petition. The world did not change. But you got to pat yourself on the back and release those endorphins and feel like you did something, and then you got to go back to your little forum and tell them that you did you did something, um, you know, where where your fake internet you know persona resides. So I think it's a terribly unhealthy world that's been enabled by the the technology. We are not evolved as as creatures to manage. The technology that we've created for ourselves—we're just not.
0: Yes, and it seems like a lot of what you're saying, Dana, is something that the social media companies know because they know that if they can stimulate—I can't remember the, the the part of the brain that is stimulated by you know confirmation bias and you know tribalism and all that—but it, it seems like there's the whole mechanism there that they can say if if this can happen to the average person, we can we can almost mass produce you know, the, the demand for stuff like this.
1: Well, here's, okay. So, so if you, I think you're right. And if you want to, if you just want to run a little experiment, I did this. And this is kind of odd coming from a guy who became internet famous, but, um, but I started asking myself because, you know, with that internet fame came some like, like bag some baggage and some weird stuff, right? Like people I didn't know reaching out to me and, you know all kinds of, if 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 300 million people see your video a, a significant number of them are either insane or malevolent or ambitious or or manipulative or or whatever and they and they'll find you and whatever so it took me a while to realize that good lord you know I've like I just treated anyone that came at me on the internet like I like they'd stopped me on the sidewalk I was, I was nice enough to them and then you know, I'd be like, oh, sure. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm a lawyer. I, I answer questions. You know, I was like and then sometimes they turned out to be weirdos. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So I'd like, you know, have to shut that down and walk off, figuratively speaking. But um, here's the experiment that I decided to run on myself. And I, I my results were conclusive. Um, I thought, well, if I'm spending let's say 15 hours a week on social media. That's probably low at the time. You know, maybe I'm spending 30. I don't know. It's easy to pile up if you're honest about record keeping, right? Um, if I, Let's just say 15 hours a week. And I thought, well, would my life be better if instead of spending 15 hours a week on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, to name three, would my life be better if I took those 15 hours and reallocated them to reading a book, walking my dogs, talking to my wife, Sleeping. Well, obviously the answer is yes, right? I mean, it can't be no. It, it's an emphatic, well, that seems obvious, right? So I said, I'm gonna do it. So I shut it all down and I got away from it. And I did reallocate most of that same time to something productive, you know. But what I didn't realize was that that the 15 hours of or whatever, 15 or 30 or however many minutes and hours it really was. In the absence of that, what also happened was that my um, my diet, my, my intake and consumption of negative emotions diminished to nearly none. So when I cut out Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so went, so with, with those three being gone, what also was gone was schadenfreude, contempt, lust, greed, envy. You know, all kinds of all kinds of negative emotions that were being just completely like overhyped by way of social media. And so I found that it wasn't the fact that I was reading and talking to my wife and walking around the block and practicing law and sleeping more that was making my life better. It was the fact that I wasn't experiencing schadenfreude, contempt, lust, greed, envy and every other negative emotion constantly. Um, so I'd have been way better off to just take the same 15 hours and sit in the dark closet and do nothing. Um, never mind, actually go do something worth doing. And I don't know anyone that if they're honest with themselves, wouldn't find out the same thing if they did it themselves.
0: Yeah, so I, I I just, I, I really, I'm, I'm so concerned about, you know, how this is going to affect, you know future generations now i don't know what the next technology is it, it just seems like it comes you, you you make a great point about how it just kind of it's kind of thrust upon the human population
1: it's a it's an adi- i don't know exactly what it's going to be but it's going to be a further distortion of reality like what i don't know you know like holograms or 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 a virtual reality or whatever whatever the next technological quantum leap is going to be i do know this it will be a distortion of reality a a more extreme and and pervasive distortion of reality
0: all right ladies and gentlemen that'll wrap up part one of episode 82 with Dana McClendon I hope you enjoyed the conversation so far while we may not know the next technology we definitely know that there is a part two which is down in the show notes below make sure to check that out I really appreciate you all listening to part one and we'll be back shortly with part two